Hello, I'm Claire White. And I'm James Foley. And this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. We are here to talk about new nerd creations, how they were made, and explore the roots of the characters and the stories. And today we are talking about Street Fighter. 30th Anniversary Edition. Street Fighter is a series of fighting video games where you, the player, fight opponents from all over the world, and each one has their own special set of fighting moves. Its second installment, Street Fighter II, is largely credited for setting the standard for the fighting game genre and the franchise itself as one of the largest and most popular in the world. There have been many versions of Street Fighter. The first came out in 1987, and the most recent Street Fighter V, Rise Up, came out in 2016. The game is made by Capcom, and they released the 30th anniversary collection this year, which has many of the iterations of Street Fighter over the years, up to but not including Street Fighter 4, and that's why we are talking about it today. Kyle Willoughby is up in Maine, our usual host Kyle Willoughby, I should say, living his best life. I think Kyle gets around. He is often living his best life. Definitely living his best life. That's why James uh, is filling in today. I'm very happy to have you, James. (laughs) Hey, she says that now, but she also said she should be the first voice people here, so I didn't scare them off. (laughs) Yeah, you should have heard what he was (laughs) saying earlier. You should have heard his tone earlier. It was very terrifying. Uh Uh-huh. Also, we have some very exciting news for this episode. Yeah. We are collaborating with the blog Popcorner Reviews. Now, Popcorner Reviews is a geek chic lifestyle blog by Monica Delmonico, which shares fun DIYs like Star Wars welcome mats, recipes like Infinity Stone cupcakes, which all look delicious, fashion ideas, and party planning tips, all with a geek twist. As a geek blogger, Monica loves crafting ideas from her favorite fandoms, too many to name, and sharing ways you can infuse everyday geek living into your own life. And for this Street Fighter collaboration, she made the most awesome, amazing Street Fighter pop-up cards. They look so cool. They look so good. And these are cards that you can make for yourself to have around your house. You can give it to a huge Street Fighter fan I can't imagine they would be anything but thrilled to get them. And the detail and just everything that she put into it is amazing. And for her blog, she put up DIY instructions on how you can make them yourself. Just so impressed and so cool. And she also has other cool crafting and food ideas up there. She has Star Wars flower crowns, which... I'm pretty sure I'm going to make to wear to New York Comic Con this year. Listen, she's obviously really cool. We just and, and we are collaborating with collaborating with her, but we have to balance it out just a little bit so people know we're being honest with them. From what I can tell, she's also a Slytherin. Okay, so you just got you gotta you gotta weigh that with everything else. I mean, everything looks delicious and creative and beautiful. It's just she's also maybe a Slytherin, just based on her birthday choice for for her biscotti cookies. I know some good Slytherins. I mean, do you though? I do. <laughs> Up for debate. Really talented, though. (laughs) But anyway, we're really excited to be working with her, and I'm really excited for these pop-up cards. Oh, yeah. She said she was going to send me some. So that's exciting. Maybe you'll get one. I don't know. I sent her my address. (laughs) Oh, I feel like I won't now. (laughs) They did not seem sincere when she said I would get one. You can visit popcornreviews.com to find all the details about this, and you can actually download the files you'll need to make the cards. And they're free. So there you go. Now, for our episode, 
I'm going to talk about the history of fighting games and why Street Fighter 2 is so important to them. And I'll be talking about the uh, production behind Street Fighter 2 and its evolution. All right. Well, let's get started. So I'm going to start, as many a good segment has started, with a definition. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is from uh. Techopedia, which seemed as good as any. A fighting game is a genre of video game in which a gamer battles against another character controlled by another gamer or the game's AI. And this is the definition of fighting games so we can know what we're talking about. And I'm going to list some aspects commonly found in fighting games. On-screen characters engaging in one-on-one -on -one combat. Combat is often unarmed, but they can have weapons. A lot of great examples. Characters usually have exaggerated martial arts moves and intense power. And these characters can also have magical powers. And the fights are usually conducted in a tournament setting. Now, fighting games existed before Street Fighter. It certainly wasn't the first. But what makes it so special is what we mentioned before. It kind of sent the template for fighting games that came afterwards, and it kind of feels like all fighting games coming up to it were kind of leading to this version of a fighting game. So I'm going to go through the history of fighting games beforehand so we can see that all happen, and then I'll list some examples of later fighting games, and you can all see how, while yes, they are different ideas and different uses of martial arts and, you know, magical powers, they're still following the Street Fighter template. Mm. Most people recognize the first fighting game to be Sega's heavyweight champ. Can you guess what kind of fighting it is? I'm guessing it's boxing. It's definitely boxing. It was released in 1976. It had 2D boxers fighting. The uh, arcade game actually had boxing gloves attached to the controllers, and you had to move them up and down to change the height of the punch, and you would thrust the levers to actually punch if I had gotten to play this as a kid, I would have loved That's it. That's in the 70s, because I played a boxing game in arcades that was similar to that, but was, you know, much later and had all kinds of graphics they didn't have back then. It loved was, it. Well, Heavyweight Champ was, they have other versions of it. Oh, then I definitely played that series. Okay, and so I couldn't, I've watched a lot of videos of all these different iterations of games, and I couldn't find a version of 1976 Heavyweight Champ. So I'm begging anyone who could find a version, please send it to me. I'm sure it'll be anticlimactic and not very exciting, but I just, I want to see it. Um, it was the first game that featured head-on-head -head combat, one-on-one -on -one combat, besides Pong. And I'm not going to count Pong as a fighting game since you were actually beating up the other player. The Atari 2600's Boxing, which came out in 1982, was one of the first fighting games for home consoles. And you got different points for landing different types of punches. So instead of all punches being equal, different ones you would get more points for. The Attack of the Phantom Karate Devils, which is my favorite name for a fighting game, came out in 1983. It was a 2D game with limited moves. It wasn't that great as far as fighting games go, and you could only play against the computer, but what it did have was the health meter. Now, in almost every video game where you can lose life, there is a bar and it shows how much life your character has. And as you get hit with things or as you do things that'll, you know, make you lose life, the bar goes down. Now, the Attack of the Phantom Karate Devils 
I just wanted to say it again, <laughs> didn't have a bar, but it had numbers. So you could see by the numbers how low your health was or how low the opponent, the computer's health was. Karate Champ, that came out again in, oh, not again, in 1983, a year later, was a significant game in the evolution of the fighting genre. It was about a karate master fighting against different opponents. And it wasn't a two-player game, but it was the first to have hold back and block. So you could block the punches coming at you from the computer, character intros, judges, win poses, bonus rounds, tutorials, and it was the first game to have special moves using the two joysticks. So if you move the two joysticks in different ways together, you could create an ultimate move or a more powerful move. That is a long list of innovations for fighting games. No, it, it was a significant game in the history of fighting games. Now, there were tutorials that taught you how to do these moves, and that was part of the tutorial section of it. And later they re-released the game with an extra set of joysticks so you could play versus your friends. Was it out on Nintendo? I think it was just an arcade game. Oh, okay. Now, as you can tell, karate games were quite the trend in the 80s. <laughs> Yi Air Kung Fu, which was released in 1985, was the first game where you could jump over your opponent and hit from different sides. And it was also significant because you fought characters with different fighting styles. You could only fight as one character, but all your adversaries were different, and you had to come up with different ways of fighting them because the same way wouldn't work each time. That sounds really cool, and it also makes me think of our Into the Badlands episode in my Wuxia segment <laughs> for high-flying kung fu. Good. <laughs> Shameless the, plug. The Shanghai Kid, which came out in 1985, introduced the full-on health bar that I was talking about earlier. Not numbers, but a bar. Also, high and low attacks. And it was a significant also because it was the first game to have where you pushed more than one button to perform a special move. So on, you know, your video game console, let's say there's A, B, and C. Well, if you pushed A and C in a particular order, there would be this super move that would come out of it. And that's a big part of fighting games now. Way of the Exploding Fist, another cool title, came out in 1985, was very influential in the next wave of games because it had a wide array of moves beautiful backgrounds, which highly influenced Street Fighter, and the animation was at a different level than all the games before. And the only way you can really recognize that now is do what I did and watch the iterations of these earlier games and then watch Way of the Exploding Fist. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah. I was like, could your eye tell? Well, because I had been watching all these much simpler games, but the animation is more fluid. Yeah. Um, in Way of the Exploding Fist. We'll mention this later. I've seen some animation from earlier games that looks better than some older games in researching uh, this episode. Yeah, it's amazing how what the makers choose to focus on or where they choose to save money. So this is all leading to Street Fighter. In 1987, Capcom released the first Street Fighter. And the, here are some of the aspects that it had. It had holds a block, high-low attacks, a range of opponents with different fighting styles, health bars, and players could discover hidden combos or techniques. Which was different. They didn't teach you the combos. You had to discover them. Now, you only played with two characters, 
but you had a wide array of characters you were fighting against. And it was also the first game to feature a sort of detailed story, and the characters actually talked to each other. It introduced the six-button console for light, medium, and heavy punches in arcades, and quick tangent, the reason it introduced that was because originally they had a pad and you would punch it and however hard you punched it was how hard the punch in the game would be. You can see why this would be a bad idea. I don't know why they thought that was a good idea. I read that people were getting bloody knuckles playing it in the arcade. It is an insane (laughs) idea. Also, I read how games kept on breaking and they kept on having to fix them. So... They also had the custom background for every level. Now, Street Fighter 1 was a super expensive game to make and not at all a financial success. My guess is probably because they had to replace all those punching pads with um, the joystick and six-button pads. Yeah, and the impact sensors, I imagine, were expensive too. Mm -hmm, I'm sure they were. And it was really hard to play, but hardcore gamers loved it. Also, the industry took notice of it, and it did start influencing other games made after it, including Street Fighter 2, obviously. In between Street Fighter 1 and Street Fighter 2, um, new things did start happening. Companies started playing around with 3D movement, and also games were started being made with weapons laying about that could be picked up and used by the characters. And some companies also started fooling around with different concepts of fighting characters. Um, I'm just going to list a couple of my favorites. Spitting Image is where you fought world leaders and celebrities. And it is weird. It is like a Monty Python video game. It is so strange. Who are you fighting? Like the Queen of England. What? Mm-hmm. And Arafat, I think, is in there. Whoa, that's weird. Super weird. I highly recommend watching videos of it. And then there was a game called Hippodrome, where you would play a gladiator fighting mythical creatures in a... Coliseum. No. No. But that was a really good guess. In a Hippodrome. Oh. (laughs) So... (laughs) Oh, I'm stupid. (laughs) Did you really think it was a Coliseum? Yeah, because you said gladiator, and I thought Coliseum. I wasn't even really listening to the title (laughs) after that. I just said, I know where gladiators are. Oh, I I thought you were just fooling. No, Hippodromes too. Okay. So let's move past this to Street Fighter 2. Now, it wasn't that different a game play-wise from Street Fighter 1, but what they did do was expand the roster of characters that you could play. It had a tournament mode where you could play against six of the playable characters and then four hidden bosses that you had to unlock. And each of these uh, players had their own set of special moves, and each of them had their own strengths and weaknesses that you could play with. They also had a hidden combo system, which I assume you're going to talk a little bit about. Yes, a hidden accidental combo system, at least at first. It is credited with popularizing head-to-head competitions, which were in other games before, but for the most part, you played against the computer. And with Street Fighter, gamers could play against each other instead of just comparing higher scores like they had done before. So when you're comparing higher scores, the kid who has the highest score might just be the kid whose dad has the most quarters to give him. But when you're actually playing against each other, you can definitively say he is better than you or she is better than you. Um, it also made releasing updates or new versions of the game the new normal. I know you're going to talk about that as well. 
And many people say it's the beginning of competitive gaming. Uh, because people loved playing against each other, tournaments began to pop up. The Evolution Championship Series, which is one of the biggest video game tournaments today. The biggest fighting game tournament. All right. Was held in San Francisco in 1995, the first one, with players competing in Street Fighter Turbo and Street Fighter Alpha. So that it started that off. It started a new boom for arcades, and what I do have to mention is it had the first female fighting character, Chun-Li. And um, despite how she was dressed, it was a step forward because in other video games, fighting video games, female characters were either damsels that needed to be rescued, um, they were, you know, people in the stands cheering on, or they were that girl that gave, you know, the winner the trophy at the end. And... Chun-Li was just as badass as the men, and she could win the tournament as well as they could. And I always thought she was awesome. And she's one of the game's most popular characters. Yeah, because she was the first female fighter. and Also because she's cool. She is cool. And on top of all of that, Street Fighter Two is given credit for solidifying the fighting game's formula. Any fighting game that you play, as far as I'm aware... Its formula is based off of Street Fighter. You have one player on one side of the screen, the other player on the other side of the screen. You have the health bars on top. That comes from Street Fighter. Also, you have a roster of characters that you can pick from, and all the different characters have different fighting styles. And it's not that these things didn't exist before. It's that Street Fighter took all of it and put it into the game. You have the combos, which, you know, the secret combo especially is something that's really popular in fighting video games, and Street Fighter made that it's just fascinating to see like oh my gosh every game after this is based on that even if it's like trying to do something different it all boils down to street fighter well one of the things we always talk about especially why we do a history segment is we want to talk about how art pieces take place in a conversation of art in the context of other art that's coming out and every fighting game that comes out comes out in the context of street fighter now, I'm just going to name a handful of them. Mortal Kombat, which is the other, I would think, the other huge fighting game franchise. It's what is credited with making fighting games super violent. It It's different because of the violence and the weapons used, but... The tone. The tone is very dark. But it's actually the same formula as Street Fighter. And then, you know, you get into... Um, Marvel fighting games and DC fighting games. There's a Marvel Street Fighter crossover, many of those, but they all use the same formula. There are games based in anime tradition, erotic games, dinosaur versus dinosaur games. Uh, There are actually make-your-own fighting games now. Um, There are tons of crossover games. uh, PlayStation, All-Stars, Battle Royale, Disney Ultimate Battle. That's a little bit different. But Oh, Dragon Ball Fighters. Oh, born out of the Street Fighter genre. Exactly. They all take inspiration and aspects of the Street Fighter genre, and it's it's defined how fighting games are made now, and I don't think there's actually one that's come out and been so influential that it's broken the mold. So that's my little history segment. It's funny, doing the research, it made me excited for that fighting game that's going to be completely different, because I think it's coming. It very well may be. Uh, but before we get into that, which I feel like is opinion segment territory, let us talk about Street Fighter 2. 
the most influential of all the Street Fighter games and the one that I think is most uh, responsible for the fact that they are able to celebrate a 30th uh, anniversary collection. So, uh, the first Street Fighter was released in 1987. We're just setting mm-hmm. the time that all this is taking place. I think you mentioned this. Final Fight came out in 1989. Mm. And Street Fighter Two came out in 1991. Well, what is Final Fight, just so everyone can be on the same page? Well, I wanted to explain Final Fight because it's the game that is actually the original Street Fighter sequel, but it's not really. Uh, you see, Okamoto Yoshiki, uh, who was the head of arcade development for Capcom Japan, He was what we would really consider the producer of the game. He had to assemble the talent to make it and then did have input creatively. Okamoto was (laughs) an eccentric. I was telling Claire uh, um, uh, offline that he's someone who I think would be fired today in America. I don't know if he would be fired in Japan, but (laughs) not just for saying, no, boss, that's not the game we're going to produce. We're going to produce this one. Uh, He was also someone who always liked to prank people. That included uh, pantsing uh, Capcom American, uh, Capcom America employees while they were in Japan, just walking down the street and just pantsing them in Japan (laughs) or trying to. But my point is that he was something of an eccentric and he then hired other people who were weird, unique and eccentric. Uh, because he actually did appreciate that in the people below him. Just as he liked to say no to his bosses, he let his subordinates say no to him. That's good to hear. It is. Fair across the board. Yes, it went both ways. So that enabled him (laughs) to hire uh, Akira Yasuda. Now, here's a fun story. When Yasuda gets hired, now he's the guy who headed up art and design Mm -hmm. for the game. Uh, Or really, really art, but he also contributed to design. When Yasuda came into the interview with Okamoto, the producer of the game, he was wearing his pajamas and a tie. And Okamoto said, Okamoto said, why are you wearing your pajamas? And he said, because it's the only collared shirt I own. And he said, all right, let's see your portfolio. And Yasuda said, I don't have my portfolio. He said, why? He said, my art is so good People stole it. <laughs> I, re- I read this. I did yeah. read this. It's pretty great. I felt like I had to include that story. Also for how weird Yasuda is. And then he is. got hired? He got hired anyway because he's he's great. Because mm-hmm. he's great. And he already knew of his work beforehand. Um, so I mentioned that because I wanted to ta- mention that uh, he hired a bunch of eccentrics like himself. So it wasn't just uh, normal people who could do a good job. It was the best people who might be weird (laughs) and and rather unique like himself. Uh, One of the examples I wanted to give of him um, being willing uh, to be overruled by his subordinates, the game designer, who Mm -hmm. we would call the game director uh, nowadays, Nishitani Akira, had a disagreement with his boss, Okamoto, over Chun-Li. Okamoto, our producer, said, Chun-Li is a woman, women are weaker, she should have a smaller health bar. And Nishitani adamantly said, no, she should not. It should be the same as everyone else's. Okamoto disagreed with him, but Nishitani went ahead and made Chun-Li's health bar the same anyway. And Okamoto said, okay. He was willing to do that when his, his, his employee felt they were that much more in the right. Now, to talk a little bit about Nishitani Akira, 
He was someone who handled big picture story and design direction, but also uh, could handle the actual mechanics of the game. How is this thing going to work in the little details? How are we going to pull it all together and actually get it done, not just big picture? Uh, one of the examples of his overall vision for the game and its balance was that he reprogrammed the Hadouken from the first Street Fighter. What's the Hadouken? Hadouken! It's where you shoot a ball of energy out of your hands. Ryu and Ken can do it. Many of the other characters also have energy shooting abilities. But specifically for the Hadouken, uh, there was a motion with the controller, a quarter moon, as we call it, and then you had to hit a punch button. Now, in the original Street Fighter, you had to hit that at the exact same time. You had to finish the motion and hit the button at the exact same time. So most of the time, it didn't work. But when it did work... It was a really powerful move. And for Street Fighter 1, the team on Capcom had thought that was balanced enough. Nishitani thought differently. He said a move like that would be better if it was easier to pull off, if we gave a little wiggle room for when you press the punch button so it mm. didn't have to be so exact. That way, it can happen more often, and we'll have more fireballs in our game, and that's good because fireballs are cool. So we'll have more cool things and... When it does happen, if players are able to more easily repeat it, everyone will know that it's not luck that it was pulled off because when it's too hard, you can't know whether it was a choice oh, wow. or not. And that makes the game more fair. If you, everybody can do the special moves, but will you do them at the right time? Mm. That's the question of skill. Um, another example for the details that he was involved in, not just big picture and story, he conducted studies of people to see to the millisecond how fast they could react to moves in the game, to see whether it was fair how long it took for something to happen in the game, for the balance of the game. Wow. So if somebody fires a fireball at you, a Hadouken, right? Mm -hmm. This chi energy, you're oftentimes going to jump over it. If somebody jumps over it, the counter to that is to uppercut them out of the air. And he studied the reaction time for all of that and tried to make it so that the game moved in a way where everybody had a fair shot of being wow. able to do it to the millisecond. So he's that detail-oriented. Now, he's also someone that is delegating all kinds of ideas to an enormous team of designers, uh, at least for the time, that are coming with to him with all kinds of crazy ideas for these characters. Mm -hmm. And as a, uh, as a boss, as a director, his position, uh, now, for the record, he's also a much more quiet and reserved person than Okamoto. He was <laughs> described as quiet and thoughtful, but firm. He would try to say yes to everyone. That was his goal. Whatever crazy idea you came to him with, he would not say, no, we can't make it work. He considered it his job to find a way to make it work with all the other crazy ideas. Working with a bunch of eccentrics. Yes. And the way that Street Fighter worked is that you got your own characters. There was a rivalry on Street Fighter where the people who are working on Blanca, they want him to be the best character in the game. Mm. And the people who are working on Dalism want Dalism to be the best character in the game. And so they're trying to one-up each other to make sure that happens. And it was Nishitani's job to say, yes, 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 yes. Dalism's arms, he's a yogi from uh, uh, <laughs> India, and so he's super flexible, and his arms can stretch across the screen. And at first he thought, we can't let his arms stretch across the whole screen. How's that going to be fair? And then he said, you know what? We'll find a way. <laughs> I won't say no, his arms can't stretch that far. I'll just find out how to balance it with what everyone else can do. Now, assisting him in production and design was Funamizu Noritaka. Now, Funamizu was someone who had been at the company before Nishitani, 
uh, and had been tasked with mentoring Nishitani to where Nishitani could take over um, and be above him in mm-hmm. directing the game design. And that happened because Okamoto, like everyone else, saw that Nishitani was more talented. Funamizu was noted as a person who could be criticized as not being able to do anything you didn't tell him to do. Mm-hmm. Even though he gave creative input for the design of the game and the story, he was someone who was better at taking the baton from someone else. But mm-hmm. I thought it was important to include him because Okamoto said he had a special gift that many people don't have, a really strong gift, and that was to fulfill others' ideas. That he was a great listener who would remember things you told him years later in detail and who uh, would be able to fulfill the what, what you were hoping for in your idea in a way that others just couldn't. Um, so I thought it was worth mentioning him. Now, I want to talk about Yasuda Akira, the guy who did the art design for Street Fighter and headed the team of 20 artists who he's, worked on it. He's the one who wore his pajamas to the interview, right? That very same guy. Now, what you should know, first off, is that one of the things that makes Street Fighter special is its art. So you have to give a lot of credit to Yasuda. You also have to give credit to Capcom because they made more than half the development team artists, which was not the usual. So they invested in it and it bore fruit. He was said to be a perfectionist who was also good at working fast. He entirely designed Chun-Li and it took him one and a half months. It took the others 10 months to design their characters and to be able to turn it into pixel art because that's such a difficult process. Now, the last member of the team that I want to mention is Shimomura Yoko. And she was the composer of Street Fighter II's music. Now, uh, something that was uh, exciting at the time or different at the time was that she made this music light and fun. Capcom actually had been noted for having a really heavy style for its music, and she came in and changed that. And Nishitani let her go ahead and do it. And she said he she's someone who specifically mentioned how affirming he was as a boss, that she'd be scared that he wouldn't like an idea she had and he would always encourage her with it to try it to its fullest extent. And I didn't mention this in the history segment, but the music was also something that helped. uh, The Street Fighter music is something that also um, was a staple throughout the fighting genre and the effects in it as well. Yes, it was something that was meant to be more melodic than it was evocative, even though it was meant to evoke the countries and the characters and their personalities. Um, Something that was different about uh, Street Fighter II and how involved everyone is and how they all advocated for their character that they were building was that she would play the music she had designed without saying to everyone who it was for. And then the programmers would hear it and it would sound so right for their character. They would advocate to have that music be for them. They'd say, oh, no, that would be great for him. Mm. And she'd think to herself, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just another cool thing about the design and, and how that collaboration was different than it was in other games. Now that I've talked about the design team, I just want to talk about three factors that I think helped to make Street Fighter II great and to have all the great iterations that it evolved into over the years after that that um, made it the juggernaut that it was that could provide for 30 years for an anniversary. One, the artistic dedication of the staff. I already talked about that with the developers, how dedicated they were to quality. It was to the point that even after the game came out, the head director of it, Nishitani, Uh, continued to tweak it, even though he knew people would never see it. Just for his own peace of mind, knowing how he could make it better, he would sometimes tool around with it and make little adjustments Mm -hmm. for the version that existed in the office. Another factor 
was fan input. And this is something that I don't think existed before because there hadn't been an arcade game this popular that was so competitive. And when you have that competitive edge to it, people are going to look at it in a more intense way. So they were finding glitches way faster than usual <laughs> and in a way that the developers couldn't have and that with another game might never have been discovered except that it was being played so much. Now, speaking of people who are playing it so much competitively, James Goddard wound up being a location tester and design consultant for Capcom, and his qualification for that was how good he was at the video game <laughs> um, and on the competitive scene. And so he got hired by Capcom, and he was giving them all this advice about it from that hardcore gamer perspective. Now, he was on the scene and could tell people in Japan what the hardcore American fan base wanted. And one of the differences with the American fan base versus the Japanese is that it took off as a tournament and competitive game in America much faster than it did in Japan. So they kind of had a different perspective and a more intense one than they even did in Japan. And he said, fans over here want to be able to play as the bosses in the video game, those four unlockable right. bosses. They want to be able to pick that character to try to beat the game with. Also, they want to be able to have two friends play as the same character against each other. Oh, yes. Which initially to the game designers was like, it doesn't make sense to have two Chun-Li's fighting right. each other. <laughs> How can two Chun-Li's exist? And the way that he first showed one of his uh, um, superiors how important that would be and why it was such a good idea was it was Halloween and they were at Golfland in Florida, which was one of the first places they ever tested Street Fighter to the arcades there. And at Halloween a whole bunch of young Asian girls costumed as Chun-Li came to the arcade and they were arguing with one another over who would be able to play as Chun-Li in the game. And the case was made, fans that love Chun-Li enough to dress up as Chun-Li should all be able to play as Chun-Li. I agree. Exactly. Also, in the competitive scene, if Chun-Li's your best character, you ought to be able to play as Chun-Li mm -hmm. no matter what. Now... One of the other things that I think made it great was not just the fan input from the competitive scene, but it was their need to, Street Fighter II's need to fight off clones and copycats because there were pirated copies of the game that were happening all over the world in the hundreds of thousands. And there were people who were hacking the game and changing it in basically what we would call mods nowadays. And they were they were they were making it work the way they'd like it to work with all kinds of extra fireballs and moves that would work in air now and and upping the speed of the game a great deal mm. um, so that it happened much faster. Now they tried to fight these pirated copies and they tried to fight these copycats and these hackers with these modded versions, but at the end of the day. They couldn't beat the copycats, the people who just said, mm, let's take all of Street Fighter's art and all of that and just my tweak it a little bit and call it our own game. Because the court said, you don't own roundhouse kicks. Right. You don't own punches to the face. You don't own two people standing across the screen from each other doing this. <laughs> even if the You define the genre. Yeah, even if you define the genre, you can't own all of these factors in making a game, even though the people, I read a quote from one of the people that worked on the game and said we were just copying Street Fighter. Like they were taking their backgrounds and just messing with them. Right. But they were allowed to do that. Um, so what Street Fighter had to do, what Capcom had to do to beat these people was 
make versions of their game that were better than anything that the copycats were doing or that the illegal mods were doing. And that meant making the game faster, but not just faster like these, these hackers were doing, but balancing it well at the same time. And it was a big fight, a big fight about whether to up the speed and whether people could adjust to it. But Street Fighter II Turbo came out and people loved it and people just got faster. Anyway, total sales of Street Fighter II to date, $6.6 billion. For inflation, that's $11.85 billion. And the total sales of the Street Fighter series to date is $10.61 billion, or $23 billion when we include inflation. Those numbers are very impressive. They are. It's one of the most popular video game series ever. I think it's ever. one of the most popular things we've ever covered. Yeah, Street Fighter's a big deal. Um, what do you think of it? And what did you think of the 30th anniversary collection, playing it on the PS4? I I don't love fighting games. And all fighting games are based on Street Fighter. Um, I liked them as a kid, but it was always kind of the forbidden fruit because I never was really given money to play arcade games. So as much as I wanted to, I, I couldn't play it. And then when I did play it, I wasn't good at it. So you felt like, oh, that quarter just went down the drain because I couldn't beat it. Um, learning about Capcom and the history of fighting games and how significant Street Fighter is, I admire the hell out of it. Um, and as I got older, I'm sure you'd like to talk about this, I, I found it kind of, um, oh, I don't know, offensive. Oh, and some their caricatures of, the of different uh, people from different parts of the world and... Some of the women, you know. Oh, my goodness. Well, I almost put this into the production segment when we talk about who these characters are, but I thought that's more to talk about in the opinion segment. Mm -hmm. um, so their idea of international characters, <laughs> my friend Steve says, is uh, 70s X-Men style, mm. where you're just doing the biggest send-up of what a Russian is. I mean... Do you know what Zangief's original character name was? No. Vodka. Okay? That's what the Russian character's name is. And Blanca, his original character design was just a black dude in chains called Beastman because he fought like an animal. That is some hardcore racism. That is intense. Um, but here's the thing. Their idea was, okay, we're going to have all these unique characters from all over the world, and we're going to play up how different they are. The thing is, they did a Japanese character they were just going to call Sumo. His name ended up being E. Honda, but originally, you know, like, you know, prototype name, just Sumo, because they said, Americans will know that a sumo wrestler is Japanese. They'll get that. And Japanese people will love him, too, because he's a cool sumo wrestler. They put an American soldier in as the American so that the Americans would have a quote-unquote just an average stat fighter to play that would appeal to them. Not, I mean, Ken was American, but he was wearing a Japanese gi. They said, we'll really American it up for him and give him a blonde, blue-eyed soldier. And uh, that'll make the Americans happy. That was the idea. Right. It's funny playing it now and being, you know, maybe with our, you know, soft sensibilities just being a little bit shocked that this is allowed you know that you can have this character and these stereotypes so blatantly in front of you you know in the 30th edition you have access to all the early versions of street fighter um 
Yeah, what do you think of Street Fighter, James? Um, I, I mean, gosh. I just talked about some hardcore racism in the initial development for Blanca, but Street Fighter is awesome. Street Fighter is really well made, and they didn't put Beast Man in the game. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's the thing about playing it, um, and especially looking at it over the years and looking at what goes into making it, I almost talked a whole lot about pixel art in my segment, but there just wasn't time. The pixel art in this game is still beautiful. Like, people say that Street Fighter 3 is one of the best animated pixel art games that was ever made. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at just like repeat animations from Street Fighter 3, and it's still beautiful. And like, the, I watched a lineup that compared Street Fighter 4 with um, polygonal models, right? Like, more three dimensional looking polygonal models, and the animation of Chun Li um, shooting a, a, a fireball to Chun-Li doing it in Street Fighter 3 mm -hmm. years earlier with, with uh, sprite graphics, you know? And the sprite looked better. It was better animated. Yeah, you showed me that picture, and it, it was better animated. It was. It ha it, 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 it's a better body motion. It's more how arms and clothing ripple and flow. There's more personality and expression on her face. My point is not to, to rag on Street Fighter 4, but just to say Street Fighter 3 and a lot of the Street Fighters in the collection, they hold up for how they look. The fact that, you know, pixels can't fully do straight lines, it's okay. They can show a lot of beautiful expression, and they put the money into animating it. Mm -hmm. And when I say I'm not excited by it or I don't love it, it's more that I'm not a big fan of fighting games. And if I don't like fighting games, Street Fighter is a hard thing for me to love playing. Um, I admire it so much. Um, and I think I, I've always had this frustration with fighting games where I've always felt like I can just mash a bunch of buttons and sometimes I win and sometimes I don't. I never quite know how it works out. Obviously, there's a skill that goes into it, but it was never something that I really adapted to. And I think I just didn't play it a lot as a kid. And as an adult, putting the time in to get good at it is not something that I've dedicated to, dedicated yeah. my life to. Well, that is the funny thing about Street Fighter is that if you really want to play it, um, it's, a, it's a game that they you would describe as having a high skill cap. Mm -hmm. How good somebody who's really good at it can be is way, 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 way uh, up above someone who has spent no time in it and uh, isn't that good at all. Like there's a wide range of ability um, based on skill that's possible. Uh, it's something that I actually like about it even though I'm not good at Street Fighter. Like I played it enough as a kid that I remember the special moves mm -hmm. and something I really appreciate about, appreciate about Street Fighter is that they don't change them. Like, they add new characters, and those new characters have new moves, but they work the same way a lot of other characters' special moves do. So once you can do one character's moves in Street Fighter, you can do a lot of characters in Street Fighter's special moves, and the key is when to do it. It's knowing what combination. It's knowing when to do it in reaction to your opponent. And the thing that blows my mind about really looking at it uh, as an adult and having an appreciation for what went into it is that it's so fair. Mm. And that's why it makes me so mad when I lose at Street Fighter. I have a friend, because shout out to Langston Belton, who's way better at it than me. And I can give him a fight sometimes. When he beats me, he beat me. It wasn't luck. It wasn't right. button mashing. You're actually it, not as good. Right. I'm not as good. It's a skill. And it's a kind of skill that resembles a real fight in that he did the right thing at the right time. Do you remember the first time you played it? Um, the first time I played it was probably on a console. Mm -hmm. um, it did come out for the Nintendo, and 
I remember reading while I was researching my history segment that it was a thing that you could practice it at home and then go to the arcade. Yeah, yeah, big deal. I mean, I still can remember to this day. I don't remember a lot of my arcade experiences. They all blur together as mm-hmm. a wonderful time, but like they blur. I remember beating multiple people at Street Fighter mm-hmm. in a row as a kid, and it felt so good. Oh my goodness, I can still remember. Now I did button mash, but it was a technique. I knew the technique I was doing by mashing the button. It was E Honda's hundred hand slap. All you had to do was hit light punch really, really, really fast and he would do it. And I ran into two kids in a row who couldn't deal with a hundred hand slap. And it, you know, it's a mashing thing, but I was doing it on purpose and I beat them with a move I knew, even though it was cheap and they had to take their quarters and go. But Street Fighter's fair, the third kid in line, Beat the heck out of me, like a Mm. steel drum, okay? (laughs) Because it's a game of skill. I do think it's a testament to Street Fighter that I know the characters as much as I didn't play it. And the thing was, it was so popular that every pizza joint that you went into, every Chuck E. Cheese, you know, like anywhere that they could put an arcade game, the arcade definitely had Street Fighter. I was just thinking how, you know, Monica's card, pop-up card that she made, has the outline of a Street Fighter character and the button controls that you would use to do the Hadouken, it's recognizable. And a lot of people are going to recognize what that was, even if they didn't necessarily play it. Also, that you can put the Street Fighter characters in a game like Ready Player One, and even if you didn't play it, you do recognize those characters. Yeah, because they're a part of the culture. Even though fighting games are niche, Street Fighter was so big in its time that it went beyond that. Right, and you couldn't escape it. Yeah. Especially for our age group. And another question, if you could make your own fighting game with any characters that you wanted... What would you want to make it with? They already made it. I dreamed about it for years, and there were different versions, but this is the finest version that has ever been made, and that is Dragon Ball Fighters. 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 It should be Dragon Ball Fighters-y, like Dragon Ball-Z, but Mm. they say it's Fighters. Anyway, um, it looks, like I was saying about uh, Street Fighter 3, it looks like a living, breathing anime. The best we can do it with current uh, video gaming hardware It's beautiful, and I get to be the characters from my favorite show. It always comes back to this for me, but I would play an Avatar Last Airbender game. I think it would be really cool to get to fight with the elements. Yeah, yeah, it would be. A lot of of fancy special moves there. So Street Fighter, we recommend it? Yeah, oh my God. If not just for the nostalgia, I feel like it's a good way to get into fighting games now because the basic ideas have remained the same throughout the series, at least from Street Fighter 2 on. And it might be more approachable if you play the simpler version from your childhood. (laughs) Recommend it as strong for me, but admire it? Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, I'm Claire White. And I'm James Foey, missing Kyle Willoughby. And this is Dragon, Sexy Robots and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. Feel free to contact us on our website at dsrapodcast.com. And you could rate and review us on iTunes. We would love that if you could. It really helps us out. You can find me on Twitter at along with Claire. That's C-L-A-I-R-E. And you can find me at James Foey Jr. That's F-O-U-H-E-Y-J-R. 
And you can find Kyle and tell him that you miss him at Klex303. That's K-L-E-X-303. You can learn more about the history of fighting games and what went into making Street Fighter 2 on our Facebook page. We'll be posting some of the articles that we used. And if you're wondering where can you find the instructions to make these awesome pop-up cards, you can go to popcornerreviews.com. You can find Monica on Instagram at Monica Delmonico. That's D-E-L-M-O-N-I-C-O. On Twitter at Monica Delmonico. And on Facebook at Popcorner Reviews. Our producer is James Fowey. Yeah. Our logo is done by Patty Highland. Who is Patty Highland in Street Fighter 2? Obviously. Yeah, I guess it's just, it's right there. <laughs> and our theme music was done by Pete Rowan. The question is, who is Pete Rowan? I'm going to say Blanca, only because he has such an affinity with animals. Okay. Once again, we are Dragon, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. Bye.